Brilliant. Well, we'll, we'll pray in just a moment for all those things that we've heard. Um, but Phil's going to be back up uh, to bring God's word to us. And this evening we'll be looking at Luke uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 36 to 50. Uh, if you have a Red Church Bible, uh, you can find that uh, on page 1036. And we'll read that together now before Phil comes and speaks to us. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. And if you've got a Red Church Bible, that's on page 1036. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, Phil is going to come and explain that to us. Before he does, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your words. We thank you that as it is open, your word says it brings light to us. And Father, we ask that now you would speak to us. Uh, you would show us Jesus in all of his glory. Uh, that we might love him more as a result of this evening. Father, strengthen and power fill to speak to us now. Father, we do pray for this town of Catrum uh, that our churches uh, are involved in. Father, we pray this Christmas that many uh, would know and see Jesus as the amazing King and Saviour that you have sent into the world. We pray for the Baptist Church and all of those going on. Father, we thank you for uh, their uh, need of more space. Father, we pray that that will continue to grow. We pray you bless them as the gospel goes out in the valley. And for us too, Father, here at Ocall, we pray that the gospel will go forth, uh, that men, women, and children would hear 
and see the Lord Jesus. See how amazing he is. And we pray this for your kingdom, your glory. Amen. Thanks, Dan. Well, if you could have your Bibles open at that passage, we're going to look at it together. We're currently in a series of of, of evening service uh, talks that look uh, at Advent, look over the over Advent at the person of Jesus. So last week we saw that Jesus is the Word, the Creator, sustainer God who has come into this world to save us from sin. And this evening we're looking at an incident that shows us how we need to respond to him. Because there's no point just knowing all about Jesus if we don't know Jesus personally. And so as we look through this passage, we need to look at the characters and honestly ask the question, which of these characters am I like the most? So imagine the scene in the passage once more. Jesus and his host Simon have just sat down for a meal when suddenly a commotion erupts at the door and heads turn. And this woman runs into the room, followed by the servants on the door. She runs to the guest of honor. And before anyone can take hold of her and lead her away, she grabs Jesus' feet in both hands and starts to sob. And as she sits there on the floor, cradling Jesus' feet and weeping, the tears began to drop onto his feet. And time goes on. And Jesus' feet get wetter and wetter. And then she begins to clean his feet with her hair. It's a filthy thing to do. The streets in those days were dusty. There were no sewers, which meant there was effluent everywhere. Jesus, in all likelihood, probably stepped in something on his way to Simon's house. But she knew that. And still, she carried on wiping, forgetting everyone. And as she sat there, there was, there was a stunned silence. Even Simon, the host, was shaken. And he silently waves to the servants to, to not intervene. Because he wants to see what Jesus would do. But Jesus does nothing. Instead, he lets all that she's doing carry on. Because as the woman comes to the end of her tears and finished wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, she starts to kiss his feet. And not a person says a word. They hardly breathe. Because this was worship. Her actions were loaded with significance. Her actions were bordering on blasphemy. And still, Jesus doesn't stop her. And when she stops kissing his feet. Just as people were beginning to stir and murmur, she draws out this beautiful alabaster jar. 
It's a beautiful kind of white stone. If you, if you, if you carve it really finely, it's so, so, so fragile and thin. You can, you can, you can shine it up to the light and, and see the light reflecting through it. And she breaks it, smashes it. And all through the house, this beautiful, beautiful smell erupts and fills the senses. And she pours it over Jesus' feet. And taking his feet in her hands again, she carefully wipes off the excess. And when she'd finished, she sat there, waiting at his feet. It took a long time. The only movement in the room was the uncomfortable shuffle of the guests. The quick swish of a hand knocking flies away from the face. And everyone's speechless. What, what do you say? Everyone felt uncomfortable. Even, even embarrassed for Simon. Embarrassed for Jesus. Simon had just had a, a well-known woman, in inverted commas, come into his house. What would the synagogue leaders say? What about the Joneses next door with the new BMW? What are they going to say? What about Jesus? It, it was probably even more embarrassing for Jesus. His whole ministry had been tarnished by this woman who was rumored to be a whore. How could he begin to rebuild his reputation? And suddenly that, a, a whisper, not a whisper, a statement cuts through all the whispering and the murmuring. And it's this from Jesus. Simon, I have something to say to you. It's, an, it's a powerful event. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's simple. And it profoundly shakes and challenges all our expectations and our perceptions. What do we think of it? What challenges us most about it? If we were in that room, where would we be looking? You see, Luke, by painting this scene, wants us to see that true love is costly and sacrificial, but it's possible to miss it. And he wants us to see three things in this story. And the first is that self-righteousness will fail to see Jesus. Self-righteousness will fail to see Jesus. And that's our first point this evening. Although as we read this account, our eyes are totally drawn to the woman, Jesus actually spends more time talking to Simon than he does with her. Why? Because Simon needs Jesus more. We know that because Simon's preoccupied with the wrong thing. And we know that because Luke tells us what's going through Simon's head. Look at verse 39 with me. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He's, he's totally absorbed by his self-righteousness. 
And we don't know exactly what this woman's sin is, but we do know that Simon felt that she was far too sinful to be touching Jesus. And that's how he sees her. She's not like him. She's nothing compared to him. He was a teacher of the law. She was a well-known sinner in the town. He was blessed by God with wealth and friends and power. She was cursed and an outcast. In other words, Simon's judging himself as worthy of Jesus' attention and presence, and he's basing that entirely on his own status. And because of that, he misses the point of everything that happened. He's blind to the beauty of this event. He doesn't see Jesus like she does. His heart is proud. He picks out her problems so he doesn't have to see his own. And when we look at Simon, we're forced to ask the question we asked at the very beginning, do I see myself in this man? Am I the person who is distant and slightly comfortable of where I am in this world and where God is in this world? God is is nicely comfortable, tucked away in that corner of my life. I'll do him on Sundays, thank you. I'll possibly even manage him on on, on the odd evening when when there's a, a, a decent church event going on. But thank you very much. I'm clearly happy with where I am. I just don't want to get too serious about God. Am I the person who's distant and slightly comfortable, unaware of the true love that Jesus pours out upon me? Luke's saying self-righteousness misses the point. But secondly, he says loving Jesus is a sign of being totally forgiven. Did you notice That those thoughts were in Simon's head. He said those things to himself, and yet Jesus knows exactly what he's thinking. And so Jesus responds to Simon's silent self-righteousness. Look at verse 40 with me. Jesus answered him, even though he silently said those things in his mind. He answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. uh, Now, which of them will love him more? more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Can you spot Jesus' compassion here? He's giving time and attention to the person who needs him more. So he turns to Simon and teaches him about forgiveness. He wants Simon to understand the reason behind this woman's gratitude. So in verse 44, he he continues, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured oil uh, perfume on my feet. Jesus is pointing out that Simon didn't offer him any of the common courtesies you would have expected as a guest in first century Israel. 
You would have expected going into Simon's house, a servant to clean your feet. You would have expected oil to be poured on your head. You would have expected your host to kiss you in welcome. And yet Simon does none of these things. And we don't know why he doesn't do those things. But Jesus' point is not about Simon's bad manners and the woman's good manners. Instead, he's pointing out the woman's welcome to Jesus. And how her exaggerated welcome says that she loves him. And why is she so welcoming? Because of verse 47. It's the climax of the passage. She's been truly forgiven. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. She knew how sinful she was. And therefore how great a forgiveness she had experienced. And yet Simon doesn't get it. Because he's never seen the need to ask Jesus to forgive him. He loved little because he didn't see the need for forgiveness. And Luke's point is that the first step towards loving Jesus is honestly seeing yourself as you are. Stop comparing yourself to other people. I'm better than that person because they're not like me. And humbly accept that you're a rebel against God. Humbly accept that we hate God. In and of ourselves, we hate God. Oh, it's a strong word, I understand, but hatred is wanting someone out of your life, wanting them dead. How often do we think about God? We want him out of our lives. That's our nature. That's our sin. And because of our sin, because we want God dead, Jesus uses the word debt to describe it. Because we've treated God as though he's not there, God demands that we're punished for it, rightly and fairly. So there is a debt that we owe God, a debt of punishment for the way that we have lived, trying to cut him out of our lives. But if seeing our need for Jesus is humbling, the more humbling thing is to accept his love. Because Jesus offers to take our sin from us. When he died on the cross, he made a way for us to be forgiven. On the cross, our sin was placed on Jesus, and he gave us his perfectness. And when we trust in Jesus to take away the punishment for hating God, then our burden of debt is lifted and given to Jesus so that we will no longer be judged for our hatred. When we trust Jesus, we are able to truly mean those words, my Jesus, I love you. My Jesus, I love you. And it forces us to ask the question, 
that we ask at the very beginning. Do I see myself in this woman? And I hope that's both a challenge and an encouragement to us. Seeing ourselves as unright before God is the first step to being right with God and loving Jesus. And that brings us to the last thing that this passage says. It's simply this, Jesus will cherish our love for him. He will cherish our love for him. Look at verse 48 to 50 with me. They are a great declaration. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, ignoring the other guests, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And he reminds her of her forgiven state. He says, your sins are forgiven. The other guests are shocked. And Jesus seems to make the whole situation worse by saying saying something on the face of it that he's in no position to say. He forgives her sin as though he is God and that he is in the right place to do it. And he ignores the other guests and lavishes this blessing upon her, an approval, not them. He says to her, go in peace. Walk, knowing that your heart is right with God, knowing that there is no fear of judgment now because there is nothing between you and God that stands as a record. And the intimacy of his words are staggering. It's as though Luke wants us to open our eyes to the intimacy of faith, that intimately Jesus forgives this woman. Intimately, he loves her personally. And in the same way, intimately, Jesus forgives us if we ask him. And Jesus loves us personally and intimately. If we ask him, even to the depths of the most private rooms of our souls, and he loves even us there. And staggeringly, it's his love that gives us faith. A faith that causes us to love him. That changes us. That gives us a shamelessness to loving Jesus. this evening Luke invites us to look at her to ask ourselves how similar we are to her and Luke's almost saying guys I dare you I dare you see yourself as the worst sinner in the room Will you do that? You may be in the most caring profession in the world. But you and I are the worst sinners in this room. We may have a shockingly amazing reputation at work for being a godly guy who works hard, or girl. But you and I are the worst sinners in this room. 
And where in this room are we drawn to? As the worst sinners in this room, surely our hearts are drawn to Jesus. In worship, in love, in praise. And can I challenge you that if you cannot see that, then look at yourself again and ask yourself, where am I justifying myself? On what do I base my rightness with God apart from Christ? And confess it. Just like this woman did. Just like Jesus invites us to do now.